Hello and welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger, a big warg to all of you. Joining us out here in the furthest regions, the nether regions really, the furthest depths of outer space, curled safely in a little cave. This is part two with a wonderful guest. Before we get into that, uh, a reminder that the Junk Show is back July 14th at the Copper Still here in Los Angeles. Any month between the 8th and the 14th, there will be a junk show on that Sunday, and um, it's a, it should be a good one. It's always fun, and I'll be doing some shows. Check out davidhuntsberger.com, live stand-up dates in uh, San, no, Austin, Houston, Portland, Sacramento, San Francisco, Denver, and then Minneapolis. So if you live in any of those cities, come out, say hello, catch some live stand-up comedy, and... I believe that's it. Okay. Chatting more about exploration, space, rockets, asteroids, all that terrific, just fun, enjoyable stuff to talk about with the, oh, she's just very pleasant. She's brilliant and fun to chat with. Here's part two with Farah Alibay. More Filet, the forest. And what else does it say in here? Organically produced... Bottle conditioned saison ale. I highly recommend it. Bottle, bottle conditioned. So they capped it the with the sugars in there and then let it ferment a little further oh, in, the, in the bottle. So that's why on the bottom it'll have like a little bit of material in there. So if you left it for like three years, would it get stronger? I don't know enough oh, about the beer. Sugar I feel eventually like, gets all eaten up. Yeah, I, I don't think it keeps like wine. I think there's a, a freshness date on it. Uh, like yeah. I know when I went, I did an episode at Iron Triangle, and they were very big on like drink beer when it's fresh. I know courses. I went to the course factory in Colorado because I was working out there mm-hmm. when. Uh, so Insight was built with Lockheed Martin, and so we were out in Colorado a lot. And on our last trip. I realized I hadn't gone out to the course factory, so I went out, and they do they do have like a a label on there. It's like best before this date or yeah. fresh before. Um, I thought their tour was a course that also has the mountains that turn blue. Yeah, it's called. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was crossed a line there with beer. Like I need to look at my can and see if it's cold enough for me to drink. I just thought that was so. It- well, of course, has to be really cold for it to be drinkable. I think it's the problem. <laughs> and so the tour like, was so really, like, to me, like really disappointing because they give you like three tiny little sips and they're like, "All right, you're good." Wait, what? When did you go? Ooh, 2001? Oh, they've changed it. They've oh, changed it. They give you three full beers. Really? At the end, yeah. Like, you go to the, you go through the tour, and, like, there is a place where they give you little sips of different things, and you, and you go, like, see the bottling and stuff, and it's cool. And then at the end, you end up in this bar, and they're like, whatever beer you want. And But I was driving, so I had, like, half of one. I yeah. Like, right, time to go. But, That's good to hear, though, that maybe you emailed them. it's free. The- yeah, yeah, you can do it anyway. I, for us, like in college, that was a big deal. Like going to either, the breweries were just kind of becoming a big deal, and so we were like, let's just do all of them. But Coors was a ways away from the campus, so even though it's free, like eh, none of us wants to drive. Like and it's the like Golden, a, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, way out there. But it is. And then, did you notice like in Golden, not to diminish Coors in any way, but they're like fresh from the Rockies. But there's like this sad pond that kind of like <laughs> there's just goose poop all over it. That's really, <laughs> yeah, like, it's that's not, not the like, Rockies. It's they're right there they are there and there is a river that goes right up to that pond yeah but the pond is sort of the last thing prior to the brewery that's true yeah I mean yeah Golden is is, yeah it's kind of like a sad little brewery there but like it's huge but I'm sure like it used to be um, yeah it used to be more than it is now yeah Maybe I'm thinking of Anheuser-Busch. That's where they give us three paper cups worth of beer that makes more sense because I don't think we went to the Coors one in college I went I don't think I went, I was there a couple of years ago. I feel like ago. that's like one step lower than Coors even. They have the Clydesdales though. But uh-huh. they're the retired Clydesdales, so you just kind of see old Clydesdales. Still kind of cool, but also like, yeah, they just look bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But, yeah, Boulder is a place to go for breweries. So. Speaking of Boulder, you've been bouldering. You become a rock climber. I have. I think that like happened since we were like since the last time we did this. I yeah, a number yeah, of things just, have happened. I can't remember when how long ago it was. It feels like it was just the other day. And but when I think about it, I'm like at least a I've couple been doing years. this almost four years now, and I I think it was in the first year. So it's been okay. at least yeah. two years because I've been climbing for like two years. Um, so yeah, I, so I'm a weird person, I guess. I don't know if people do this, but like I have fads of like, I'm going to do this for like a few years really, really well, because I think what happened in my life is the first like 12 years of my life, I was a figure skater and it is like everything that I did. I started skating when I was like two and a half, like Mm -hmm. almost as early as I could walk. And then, you know, it was like. Because figure skaters, like, the prime is, like, when you're 15. So it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like gymnastics. Like, you got to get good fast when, when you don't have hips yet, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the fact that, like, growing up, I missed out on all these other sports other than skiing because I was figure skating five days a week. Um, now I just kind of go through fads of, like, I'm going to try this sport and get good at it. And then when I'm good at it, I'll just move on. Um, so fig- uh, so climbing has been kind of that, but then it seems to have stuck. Um yeah, two years yeah. is quite a while. So, and you're ambitious about it, not just like, I climbed once or I went to an indoor gym. Like yeah. a, a couple of the times we were, after our first endeavor this time to meet, you know, like a couple of the next weekends, you're like, I'm climbing, I'm yeah. climbing. <laughs> and there are a few like, other times. It's a mountain over here. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other times are just like kind of saying hello and you're like, I'm in Bishop, which I have a familiarity yeah, with. So true. Like, yeah, Yeah, I spend a lot of time there. But yeah, I was actually supposed to go climbing tomorrow in Takeets, which is out in Idlewild. But um uh, the guy is going to climb with has a shoulder injury, so. Uh, but I'm going again next weekend. Which will be fun with it. You know, in free solo, have you seen Valley Uprising? Yeah, I love Valley Uprising. Valley Uprising is, is everyone should watch that before free solo. Free solo is just like yeah, it's it's a good show. like people always ask me about that and they're like this is not how you climb is it? And I'm like, <laughs> like no, I have all the ropes and yeah. all the protection and I'm not an idiot. I was going <laughs> to ask you though, like his amygdala and that limited response to the fear. Mm-hmm. at all like he just has an atypical human brain mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm afraid of heights and yet as I get older it's getting worse which is weird I thought it would go oh. the other direction but I think because you get more attached to being alive you're more familiar with it when you're yeah. a kid <laughs> if you like fell off you're like I've only been here a few years yeah. but like as you're older you're like it's all I well, know also like you're more jellyfied when you're a kid so you like are more likely to survive probably I mean no one survives from like falling from the top of El Cap but, but how, how scared are you at 30 or 40 or 100 feet um, I mean, to be honest, to me, like, once you get above, like, so I don't, I'm not, my boyfriend boulders a lot, um, and I don't like it, because, you know, you, then you're looking at 10 to 25 feet. Um, and Do you bring out the big pads? To, yeah, yeah, you uh, have pads, but, like, if you fall, it's going to hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of, like, level you're looking at of, um, in terms of pain. Um, and to me, I'm like, okay, once you pass, like, the 40 feet type height, it's like, if you fall, you're going to die. Like, yeah. pretty much, like... Once you're up about that high, I mean, people have survived 80 feet, 100 foot falls, but like unpleasantly. But most of the time, <laughs> above 40 feet to me, I'm like, eh, you're dead either way. Yeah. So like, it's funny because to me, maybe it's my engineer's brain. I'm like, well, once I pass 40 feet, like well, whether I'm 40 or a thousand feet, like doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> dead either way. Like the only difference is I'll have more time to think about it as I fall to my death. But, and it's almost like I'd rather fall from higher because then I'll definitely be dead, right? But yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, to me, like I prefer I prefer climbing with a ro- uh, with a rope where like I know you know the first couple of clips when you get up there. So the first twenty feet you could fall and hurt yourself, but after that. If you fall, like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna take a whipper, but like you're not gonna hit the ground. Ooh, is so. that a rock climbing term? You gotta guess, take a whipper. I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, kind of like you're gonna smash into the rock. Yeah, the lingo. Um, that's cool. But yeah, so that's why I like roped climbing. People, some people like bouldering more because they're like, well, if I fall, it's all on me, yeah. and I have control. Like obviously, when you're climbing with a rope, there's like dynamics of the rope pulling you places, and you have to rely on your gear and. Um, and on having placed things properly. So, yeah, it's just different people with different... For um, an analysis side of things, do you think about that much or do people bring that up with with these really intense projects or missions or sy- your systems engineer? So engineering to land precisely or to have minimal failures. Climbing has similar aspects, but they're mm-hmm. also like, well, your line is... 
theoretically wherever you choose. You know kind of where you want to go, but you don't know the exact placement. Is there a freeness in that that you like? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting because like part of it is like, okay, a lot of it is, do you have the right equipment? Are you going to the right place? And a lot of it is mental, right? Like a lot of it is like, okay, I vaguely know where I'm going. I know my abilities. I know this is, you know, within my range. And then part of it is like, mental game of can I like not freak out right like it's yeah. kind of like that human aspect of like okay if I freak out I'm gonna over grip I'm gonna get sweaty I'm gonna fall um, and it's a lot of like take a whipper yeah <laughs> but it's funny because a lot of it I I find it to be very close to like yoga and meditation when I'm climbing and I think that's one of the reasons why I've really stuck to it especially with my job being busy and I know a lot of engineers who are all climbers because it's a nice mix of like ooh all these quick cool engineering things and like oh I gotta relax and like totally give in to the fact that like it's all about my ability to do things and it can be very humbling because like some days you'll be crushing it and some days it's like ah, I can't even make it up the easiest route because your head isn't in the game or whatever so, so when your head is 100% like I'm putting not just my hand here not even my fingers my fingertips just like this and there are all these weird techniques for how to mm -hmm. cross them and curl them and all this so you can really if you get lost in just that and then hold it in and then going up to your next hand if you're just thinking about that you climb better I mean I'm like I'm still like a novice right so I feel like when I climb part of it is for me it's like just important to breathe and not not freak out and then like part of the technique comes naturally I think like over time you're like okay I'm gonna put my hand here and you'll find yourself like naturally putting your hand but um but there's some sequences especially if you're trying to do like you're the crux of something and you're like and then part of the work especially when you get to more complex routes is like yeah you got to figure out your body positioning like exactly what your leg is for balance and and um so it's interesting because you'll work it out you'll be like okay i have to do this and this and that and that and then i'll make it past and so um yeah like part of it like you have to be focused on like here's what i'm gonna do next so it's nice because like you can't be worrying about like oh like you know i have this thing going on in my life or like my robot's not working the way I want it to it's kind of like no I, I gotta do this otherwise I'm gonna fall <laughs> so, um, so yeah I think that's why I like it because it's not like you know it's not like I used to do a lot of weightlifting. It's like, yeah, it's the same. Like if you're doing a deadlift, like mid deadlift, you kind of have to focus and not drop it on your foot. But like you put it down and then you can start worrying about life again. Yeah. This is more of a like continuous like, OK, got to do this, got to do that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it works well with my my brain and my like, well, I mean, we all get anxiety. Right. And so like it kind of helps with like removing anxiety because you can't really think about it. So, yeah. 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 I've always <clears throat> been fascinated by like skydiving and that at the the feeling of like I need to we all know life is tenuous and et cetera and like but how how often do you get to kind of look into that abyss and then I yeah, mean Yeah, rock climbing is not like that. But <laughs> you're very secure at all times. You're secure but you're there's a fear, right? There's Maybe a not fear, a death it's fear. Not, it's not like it's not like skydiving where you're jumping out of a plane for the kicks of jumping out of the plane, right? Like if I'm falling while I'm climbing, like it's not good. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of like a weird misconception about climbing is that um, a lot of people think like, oh, it's like adrenaline junkies who are doing this and like whatever. Um, and some of the <clears throat> Dean Potter and, and those people who Dean Potter was in, in Valley Uprising. Right. And some of those people were absolutely um, adrenaline junkies. But like he would free solo, then string a line across two peaks. Yeah, he was nuts. And like he was nuts. He would also climb with his dog on his back, which I think is like really horrible because like dog has no free will in this. Yeah. Like why are you that? No, no, no. Don't do that. And I hope dog. the dog wasn't there when he, no. he did fall. No, he was not. Oh, but, uh, but people were very upset about the fact that he was climbing with his dog because it's like, well, I mean, the dog is like, it's a being like why you're making these poor decisions. Yeah. And like, don't take your dog into this. Thing. No. <laughs> Maybe the dog saw him going and was like, dude, I love that. In a past life, I was a rock climber. Let me up there. I saw a video of this, this dog, this crag dog of like, you know, this climbing dog and then the, <laughs> He was like trying to climb to find his partner, to find his owner. And like, Aww. that was so cute. But um, so maybe some dog like climbing. But how do you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I feel like I'm like the exact opposite of an adrenaline junkie. Like, I, yeah, I mean, maybe I would jump out of a plane one day, but 
I'm not like I don't climb because of that, right? Like it's it's very much like I'm like am I secure? Am I secure? Am I secure? I'm not going to die. Oh, that makes perfect <laughs> sense then. So like when you're robots, how much imagination comes from an individual when you guys are designing them from you specifically or is it a team thing or what part of the process is it like do you sit down and sketch out stuff or Oh, for for robots. Well, so like early on in the process, when we start thinking about missions, that's when we start, you know, with mechanical engineers, we start very, very early on is when we start design before it's even funded is when the fun part of of what we call mission concepts that come mm-hmm. along and that's when we're sketching things and putting things together and and usually you know physics dictates the way things are going to look like but there's definitely some ingenuity in the way we do things right like um very similar uh, to the climbing right yeah it's like the rovers have yeah you can have different ways of doing the same thing and it's about figuring out what works under your resources which is exactly like climbing i guess but um mm-hmm. so like for example rovers have six wheels right the rovers that we design that's a rocker buggy system system is what we call it well there's different options like why do we pick six well it was the system that allowed us to go over rocks and and it was an ingenious system that allowed us to at least always have more than four points of contact on the ground at any time it's really stable um same with like for the the uh the descent stage that we have on Mars 2020, which is a mission I work on now, and, and MSL, we have this sky crane, right, which is essentially kind of like a jacked up version of a helicopter with retro rockets that then lowers down uh, your rover onto the ground, right, which is probably the coolest thing anyone's ever seen. Yeah. Well, that comes from like, literally someone was like okay how do we land this thing on mars we've done it with airbags that bounced around we've done it with like retro rockets directly on the rover but that's really heavy um so how do we you know how we do it with something a lot heavier than we've ever done before and again there's a lot of brainstorming that happens early on but literally it was like back of a cocktail napkin guy that was like hey like you know these we do this with helicopters all the time we lower things on these dynamic systems and and helicopters are like the devil's work right like Mm -hmm. who knows how that's like how they (laughs) stay stable i don't know that they're inherently unstable Mm -hmm. and you're relying on your computer at all times to make tiny corrections to not die um (laughs) unknown why anyone would get in those but um (laughs) so so no they really are scary the more you learn about them there's nothing good about helicopters people have been flying them well before computers no 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 you definitely need like a computer but not sophisticated like they are now like no but vietnam and yeah people died (laughs) but they also flew like even just getting off the ground and going 100 feet and landing they didn't didn't do what like the helicopters do now but like yeah Yeah. and then half of them probably died anyway (laughs) (laughs) helicopters are not good and then like nothing (laughs) there's nothing stable about them helicopters are okay no They like <laughs> inherently should not work. And the only reason, like, they can hover fire, yeah. but moving helicopters for you to move requires you to go into an unstable stage and then recover from it. Like, yeah. No. But I know you dislike the <laughs> physics involved, but they do happen to fly fairly frequently. Yeah, and they also crash fairly frequently, and they're not good. <laughs> like, they're fine, right? Like, you have two computers, it's reliable, whatever. Like, what are your thoughts on bumblebees? What are bumblebees? They're not structurally. They should not be able to fly. Oh, like the the bees? Yeah. Like good for them. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> don't have, have to have ride one. <laughs> you don't have the same animosity. Well, I mean, good for them. Like, they're probably really smart. I don't know. <laughs> I don't... My life does not... Well, it does rely on bumblebees, I guess, because they right. need them to exist. But, um, but in your mind, they don't crash all the time? I, I mean, they don't fly as high. <laughs> Their brain doesn't just shut off. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's instinctive for them, but yeah, I don't know. If you were climbing and you saw a bee way up there, would you? Be, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Probably get out of here. I hate like, helicopters oh, bee, too. Thank you for your service to my my living. Maybe. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I've been wondering about that. You know, whether do you know if in LA we can have bees? Like people can like have beehives and because who is it? I think it's George Clooney or someone like that. Like some? No, no, no. Morgan Freeman. I don't know used one of his estates and it's now taken over two very commonly confused figures <laughs> I mean like old men who like <laughs> who are actors I don't know I think it was Morgan Freeman he like 
donated one of his properties and now it's just all bees and oh, cool. because like bees you know are dying and we, we need them um la county i'm not sure about i know like ventura as you get up into the farmland yeah. tons of bees up there so i went because i was like oh i have this big yard i wonder like what it would take to just have a couple beehives and residential like, bees that might be tough yeah in a residential yeah, i don't zone. think you can yeah, yeah. but yeah. i'm like well because i thought it was cool he was like yeah he has his property he doesn't go there all that often so he's like cool have some bees but yeah help the Something to think of for the future yeah. when you have property in a more um, rural, rural areas. Yeah. yeah, get some bees. And, and, and a, a helicopter. Then you can fly back and forth between <laughs> your properties. <laughs> One thing I do know is if you have a beehive in LA City, there are there are places you can call that will come and pick up the beehive and not kill the bees and then take them to you know, a farm up, up, cool. upstate, upstate is what they say, right? When your dog dies, but, but, but it's, it's true. There's it's a farm a upstate. farm. Yeah. That will take your bees <laughs> and, and let them thrive. But I don't mm. know if you get honey for free, but I don't think you do. You should, you should get lifetime honey. Right. I gave you my bees. <laughs> Give me some honey. Give me my honey. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's how it works. But no, go, but to, but to your robots, um, <laughs> Not like helicopters in that they are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that like sky cranes are all that safe. But. Well, so does this tie into the animation that you can find? Uh, uh, maybe I'll, I always say I'll share it. And then I'm like, if someone's listening and wants to see it, they could look it up right now in their device in their hand. Uh, but the seven minutes in hell animation. Seven minutes of terror. Yeah. Yeah. Seven so of terror. For- for MSL, a Curiosity, which is the last big rover we had on Mars. Uh, well, okay. <clears throat> so, Seven Minutes of Terror happens no matter what. We had it for Insight 2. Basically, it's the fact that because of the dynamics of how fast they're traveling to Mars, um, and all spacecraft travel pretty much at the same speed to Mars, when you hit the atmosphere of Mars, you have to slow down from the moment you hit the atmosphere to the ground. And that takes about seven minutes. Um, and you have to go from like hundreds of miles per second to a few feet per second when you're landing. And so, and you're doing it all and you're, you're not relying on, you know, you're not, you're not involved in like low earth, um, I, I like you're not, it, doing not like, low earth, but you're not in, like using you're not, their gravity. No, you're not. That's a, no, that's how you accelerate to get to outer planets. But, um, so in fact, gravity is not fun because it speeds you it up. It speeds right? you up, pulls so, you in. Okay. Um, but you do use the atmosphere and then you have a parachute and you have some type of retro rocket, right? So whether you use a sky crane or a retro rocket, but, um, and the reason why they call it seven minutes of terror is because, yeah, because it takes about seven minutes. And usually when we land on Mars, because of the position of Mars with respect to Earth on landing day, which is always kind of the same because we can only really land every two and a, two years and two months. Um, the light time delay is about seven minutes. So the scary thing that people like to, you know, spook people out. So like they're like, oh, by the time we hit, you know, by the time we get the first data when we're on Earth of your spacecraft hitting the atmosphere of Mars, right? The start of those seven minutes while the spacecraft is already on the ground. Yeah. It's like, either, either in one piece or not, it's already <laughs> on the ground. That's how we get people caught in. But but it's totally true, right? And it's like that sinking feeling that you get when it happens, which I experienced last November of like, oh shit, we just got our data. That means the spacecraft's on the ground. Oh uh, no. no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And then it keeps coming and you're like, is it alive? Is it alive? Is it alive? Right? And it, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. But uh, because it's like, Seven minutes while like, I don't think I breathe. But um, but the Sky Crane is the one that we use for our rovers now, which are much bigger than Insight, for example. Right? Like Insight was about 800 pounds. We're cop- talking about 1,500 pounds or something for the, for the rovers. So you use a different system. But yeah, it's kind of like this jet pack, essentially, that um, once you, know, you enter the atmosphere, you have your heat shield that slows you down. Um, that burns up. And basically, you have the atmosphere slow you down. But the atmosphere of Mars is, as we've talked about, really thin. So eventually, that kind of runs out. And then you have your parachute. Parachute's great slows you down a lot but again atmosphere is really thin so there's only so much it can slow you so then you use retro rockets of some form that's kind um, of like Iron Man when he puts his hands yeah. toward the ground so for insight those rockets were like directly on our structure and like on the lander so it just kind of slowed itself down so kind of more like an Iron Man thing for um for for Mars 2020 and um and Curiosity it's more of a jet pack like 
what's that guy that hangs out with Captain America? He has one of those like those like flying suit wings oh, that slows yeah. down. I don't know. So can, that would be well. that would be kind of the analogy, right? Like it's like we have a little jetpack that slows you down, mm-hmm. and then there's like strings that you like kind of lower yourself off of to get on the ground. Jetpack goes away, but um, so yeah, someone came up with that idea and thought it was a good idea. But but I mean, yeah. So all that to say that a lot of engineering and exploration is about crazy weird ass ideas that people come up with like with Moss 2020 we're gonna have a helicopter fly with us right and you're Uh-oh. like that you're like please you someone was like no no it's not because they don't even know that they can fly on us <laughs> I mean they do because they've tested it but um but you should see some of the early videos where it just goes like Meow, and it kind of falls <laughs> over um but yeah they're flying this helicopter it's a quadcopter so it has like uh well no it's not a quadcopter it's a helicopter it has like two blades that go opposite direction but um so that's kind of cool because someone was like I wonder if we can fly on Mars like one percent atmosphere sure we can do it as long as we have the you know the the right mass to wing ratio mm-hmm. um and they did like we have a chamber a jpl which uh you can change the atmosphere level to mimic mars nice. gravity is still earth gravity but they offset it by having kind of like a string that like offsets the the weight right so, uh-huh. um but um yeah, you can apparently fly a helicopter on Mars. So we're going to have this little helicopter dude that's going to land on top of our rover and it's going to take off and take some nice pictures. Cool. It's going to be cool. So when you guys all design or decide on that sort of design going forward and then it becomes your baby through all the different math or design or you blade tilt on the rotor, mm-hmm. things like that, where, oh, you know, in order to achieve this, we got to just tilt it over a half yeah, a degree like, or all that type of stuff. So like what computer we're going to use, what chip or like, oh, this doesn't work. I have to change this. Yeah. A lot of like the longest time of the design, like the designs, you know, pretty early on, we kind of know what we're going to build and what the goals are going to be. But then, we have all these requirements and goals and as you go along you're like oh, I've got to build this or this or build it and then the software is a, another whole and the whole software gets built and now you for example you send that down the hall to someone else to write this software or well, are you yeah, like involved? Well no basically like for example in Moss 2020 right like um, the software team you know we, we give them requirements like do this do that we have these commands they should do this blah, blah. and so software people will do that and then they throw it back to us and they're like I did what you said to do um hopefully it works and so, <laughs> so then like you know I joined the team like I'm on the mobility team on on 2020 and I also work on the robotic arm but um, so I so my particular job on 2020 is to make sure that when the rover's roving around on the surface and driving around that it knows what direction it's pointed and it, it sounds trivial <laughs> but it's it's kind of like getting somewhere on its own and and it has you know it's going to go up and down and across and turn around and and the sun's somewhere in the sky and you gotta you know you don't have a magnetic field so you gotta figure out why you're pointed without a compass yeah Um, how do you do that um, it uses things like so we do geocompassing which it uses um, the gravity vector um, so that kind of figures out like okay gravity's pulling me this way so that must be the interior of mars um so that's one way you know and then you use like okay well the sun's this way and i know what time it is so i know which way i'm pointed um and then that's kind of like the. so someone can write this sort of software i guess if they can write uber and lyft software yeah but then we use like visual geometry also to like update and then we use the wheels like okay the wheels turn this way or it's rolled this many times so i kind of know where i am but uh, but awesome. yeah so if we land on mars and like we're roving around in circles probably my fault <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah but in this case someone else built the software and then i go and test it but and then there's always things like oh it's it's not done properly or like oh there's limitations on the hardware or like oh the camera takes a picture of the sky and it's blooming because like the sun is too bright for the type of camera we have so so when I try and figure out, you know, there's an algorithm that figures out where the sun is. Well, now I'm like, not quite sure where it is because it's using like half of my pictures because the exposure was wrong. And now what I do, right? So um, these are weird things we have to worry about. You know, in movies when <clears throat> there maybe two archetypes. One is just kind of, ah, they're just ones and zeros. That's metal. Good night. Turns off the light. The other one is more like does the testing because good job. Good job, you little guys. Are you which? Are you more like one or the other? Uh, I'm more of a like, oh, you did it, good job. <laughs> That's how Definitely. I would be. That must feel fun, like kind of like your children, right? So you're like, oh, good job. Because yeah. you you have to drop them from heights and see if their suspension can land on things like oh, that. Oh yeah, they do all of those things. Yeah, and yeah, then they and survive it. Of course, you'd feel like, hey, good job. And then we have like rovers that rover on a JPL that are like. 
oh, you like use them to test things and you're like, oh, you made it. Because <laughs> half the time it'll take you like 10 times for you to get it to do what you want it to do. So, so. You mean you've broken nine of them? Uh, no, morning, like, you know, I tell it go this way and it doesn't make it for some reason and I have to try again. But What is it typically? We don't break Software things, stuff but, or? Uh, most of the time at this point it'll be like, Either software or like a human mistake of like, oh, I didn't quite know how the software worked, right? Like, oh. so, um, so we got to learn like, oh, okay, how do we tune this and that? Why is it not behaving the way we thought it would? And, and so, because you're kind of building and iterating as, as fast as anyone could keep up with. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, a lot of the time it's it's that or like, oh, we didn't plug something in properly or most of the time it's human error. But. The so the Rolling Stone article that I brought up where it's a cool photo of all it's yeah. you and how many women are in that photo like fifteen yeah yeah it's a good number it's right? a good and number that. and everyone and I love like you know those the things that we see as the public so frequently are like you know the thing lands or the the photos get sent or whatever and everyone's cheering and high fiving like good for those nerds yeah but but in like a loving way and like man you know how everyone else is at a buffalo wild wings cheering over sports stuff <laughs> everyone has their thing but when you're in that world and being a part of like because i love in the article where you get to say like i'm an explorer like i'm in the so we t- like briefly mentioned lewis and clark does that feel like that to you like yeah i mean that's the reason why i love my job right is that like when we especially when you work on rovers but it was true for inside too like you get data down and you're like the first person to see this stuff like some of the pictures we got from mars like the initial ones i'm like it just came down like literally from space like i'm yeah i'm like one of the 15 people in this room that has seen this for the first time in humanity right like i'm laying eyes on undiscovered land do you ever drive around la and then <clears throat> especially or maybe hike up to runyon and picture it without any of humanity there yeah no freeways and picture what when you can see the coast like when you walk into malibu or something and you see the ocean imagine being the first person to crest that hill you're that person yeah that's how it feels on mars right like every day and it's a feeling that i people had told me about when i first joined my you know when i first joined insight and i was like oh yeah like cool like whatever but but you don't really realize how much of an impact it has on you until it happens to you and you're like Oh, like, you know, some of the things we do, no one thinks about. Like, we're, like, literally on another planet, right? Like, we're doing something no one's ever done before, and it's every single day of your job. But, but yeah, to me, that's kind of, like, there are very few people in this world that get to say they're explorers anymore. People who, you know, go down deep in the ocean, I think that's, that's one field. Maybe yeah. People who go to Antarctica is another. Mm-hmm. Um, but space explorers, are, you know, and, and we're, we're explorers without being there. We're going through our robots, but that's fine. It's still, it's still out. It's still us out there. Like that's kind of weird to say, right? When I say like, I work on robots, like, yeah, but it's still, it's still a part of me that's out there because I'm the one commanding it. I'm part of the team that built it, right? And it, it's it's really just a part of your heart that's on this different planet. But um, I've definitely, like, cried looking up pictures. <laughs> well, because it's like there's this one picture, which is probably my favorite picture, is is one of the first pictures of the solar arrays that we took. So we turned the, the arm and the camera over, and it takes a picture of the solar arrays. And, and um, it's weird because the other pictures, you can see the horizon, but it's like, cool, it's like a first-person vision. And it's like, yeah, you're hiking in a desert, right? But for some reason, when I saw this, and, and there was the you know, there was the solar array, and there's just, like, vast emptiness, and it was a really good picture. It's showing, like, it just went on and on and on. And, and you're like, you're alone out there. <laughs> there's nothing. Like, yeah. You're really far away, and there's no one there to help you. But um, <laughs> So I don't know how we would feel. You know, when you land on on the moon the moon's a little bit smaller there's a lot more features and, and the earth is still pretty big in the horizon I guess it's right there like you're like I'm not too far like I'm far away mm-hmm. more further away than I would want to be like for any human being for this to be comfortable but like it's still <laughs> here I can see it uh, when you get to Mars the earth is just a star and it's just like any star in in the sky right like if, if you can even see them so mm-hmm. um, so to me that's that's really weird and different of like yeah really far away compare and mars is a little bit smaller than earth right yeah it's a third of the size so when we see mars and you see a little thing that's red that's Mm -hmm. mars or sometimes it's venus and i i don't see colors great and i don't know the (laughs) time of year (laughs) yeah i always have someone else go it's that okay it's that Uh, and it doesn't there's apps for that i know i know Uh, to me on one on some level like 
I get that it's out there and I don't really have to know all the constellations and stuff. I, there's part of me yeah. that wish I did because it's interesting, but I think I would just have it as a party favor. Yeah. I kind of well, like... Well, Mars is a fun one for me because I'm like, oh, my stuff is up there. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> so, yeah Does, that's where that thing went. <laughs> you know how many people, I mean, you walk around this neighborhood, you'll see some tagging and things like that. There's a feel, and or you go in a bathroom stall and so-and-so was here, yeah. or from the time you're a little kid, you see it humans have an innate feeling that is it's more than just like you so-and-so was here it's more like i lived i existed and if in a hundred years someone is setting foot on mars would it matter to you if she had like your name on her suit or something like that oh yeah i mean yeah i mean it's kind of like i mean for example on insight and we've been doing this on a lot of spacecraft right like you can literally send your name to Mars. We have a chip and they'll write your name on there. And then, mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool, right? To say like, okay, I existed. I was a person. And then like now other people could find this and find my name. And, and there's like a meaning to who I am. But that's, I think that's human nature, right? Like the, that's kind of like the purpose to existence. Almost, <laughs> right? Like now we got really deep. But like most people that you live because you want to, you want to be something on this planet and you want to, or like in this humanity, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, that would be cool. But. I like it. Does it come up with... Um, <coughs> I've been asking people this recently. I may have asked you last time, like, if you had the universe in your hands and it's you're huge, It's a, it's this, the universe is the size of a basketball, like, how would you describe what it feels like in your hands? Did I ask you that? No, I, but I don't know. Maybe you did and don't remember. Oh, okay. Um, Either way. I, I might have started this after, maybe, but I... Anyway, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's kind of weird because, like, one of the biggest questions I ask myself, and, and we do at NASA, but is like, are we alone, right? And so I feel like, especially if we were not alone, which is what I strongly believe, I hope we're not alone. Um, then like, if you were holding the universe in your hand, you're holding so many consciousnesses and so many civilizations in your hands. Like, that's that would be a little terrifying. I hope you don't drop it. <laughs> I know. It's interesting to think of like the implications of us not being alone is a pretty huge right and mm-hmm. for me from a place of hope but um for some people not but um yeah it's it's an it's it is literally one of the biggest questions we try to answer right now is looking for water and life on other planets um yeah and if there's life in our solar system and we're looking bacteria and things like that right like very simple organism that has massive impacts on Basically, it comes down to, right, like, if there's life in the solar system, there's life everywhere. And it's just teeming, and we're not just alone, and we're not just some weird statistical anomaly, which yeah. which you have to believe, right? But, but, yeah, that's kind of the one of the most interesting questions that I hope will answer in my lifetime, because I'm like, I wonder how things like politics and religion will be impacted by the fact that, hey, we're not, not the only planet, we're not yeah. that you know supreme there's no thing no such thing as a supreme race or whatever right like it's just saying yeah it's just science i've heard that that was one of the first of all your thing of holding consciousness and all that no one's ever said that's so sweet i love that i think that's just fantastic that everyone looks at it from a schematic standpoint or like the very nuts and bolts of oh yeah what would it be like it's gaseous or it's dense or it's nothing or but from a humanity standpoint or just that's very sweet to be like oh yeah you are holding like all the dreams that have ever happened yeah weird man that's that's a really insightful cool answer (laughs) um (laughs) and then but i've heard that um the government wouldn't want to release the that evidence because it would throw off people's dogmas so much all of religion and history and i feel like they would just adjust it they would Uh, say i think so i mean like again i don't you know from I don't speak for NASA or anything of like that, but like what I can tell you is that, like when we when we do research, all of it is public domain. Like mm-hmm. I, I strongly believe that at least from a, from what I work perspective, like everything that we do is public domain, right? So, so everything that we discover is public domain, and so I mean, if we know something and they haven't, to- I don't know, right? But like <laughs> I don't know why they would do that, but but yeah i i don't i don't get that impression that like yeah if we found i mean we're we're very open by the fact that we're looking for bacteria and for simple life somewhere in the solar system and and i think when we find it it's gonna be a Nobel prize right like it's gonna be whoa and it's gonna have impacts but i think i i want to say that probably the majority of people i don't know like 
believe the same thing as I do then we're probably not alone like it's not as crazy as when 20, 30 years ago when people were like haha no. aliens right? like, yeah. most people probably believe that like yeah we're not alone but like physically speaking it's it's impossible to know right but uh, um, but yeah so I don't, I don't know that it would change all that much like I know recently um, the Pope and the Catholic Church have been have been kind of changing their sayings to kind of like I've noticed like in the really? times when they're like oh this kind of like does not discount the fact that we're not I think religion's going to catch up right like religion to me is 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 more of a well there's two ways of looking at religion right like one is to me I'm like okay so if you're religious and really believe in God then that doesn't stop there from being other other people out there right because yeah. you, you believe in this like omniscient thing that like cool like why would he have just done earth right he or she or it or whatever mm-hmm. um and then it and then on the more like pragmatic side of religion being a way to control people and and really it just being tied to politics and in a way to give people hope and things like that or getting people to behave in some way um then they'll figure it out. <laughs> they, they've survived the past like few thousand years. Right. I'm pretty sure they'll find a way. Yeah, to make it work. Really, no it's gonna like take off whatever. No, it's like I give up now. Like, this is too much. Like we uh, we dealt with the internet. We dealt with all of these weird people. Like we survived all of this. Like, we managed to explain the Holocaust, and people still believe in a god. Yeah. But somehow now, like little bacteria on the planet. That <laughs> that's it. <laughs> like they'll find a way. To, <laughs> The twist that they have, and I actually think people might be, I, I think people might go back to religion if if they do. I, mean, I don't know. Like it's 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 interesting. People's motivations for being religious are, are very different, right? And then mm-hmm. religion means different things for different people. But uh, but yeah, it keeps it, out. it small. The idea of just how vast it is, people like you can live with and. A lot of people can't. I mean, and I, if you know, people will do that thing where you're like just a passenger on a road trip and you're looking out the window and you really start thinking about it, the idea of infinity or the universe and you go, ah, yeah. hey, let's turn up the radio. Yeah. And I, that's very common. And it doesn't just, I don't think people turn from that to go like, anyway, I'm going to open my Bible. But I do think there's a simplicity <laughs> in that like, okay, it's just this insular thing and there's a heaven just above it. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a much smaller world and easier to manage. Yeah, that's true in a way. But uh, yeah, but I don't think that things like the Bible really discount the fact that there could be like other life anywhere else. But I yeah. don't know. I don't know. So Maybe if there is, who wrote it back then will like it's gonna be this NASA thing two thousand years from now, <laughs> and uh, somehow Jesus will come back at the same time. Like we'll figure it out. <laughs> Sounds like you've been watching Ancient Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> if it does go down, and I know we're not best friends, but I have been to a party at your house. Yep. The first one I came you've been to, to more than one. I've been to a couple. Yeah. yeah. And the first one I, I came haven't had my annual birthday party this year. I which know. Is like, going on? I call it my annual birthday party because it's never near my birthday. <laughs> I'm just saying like, annual birthday party, and people are like it's May. Is it your birthday? And I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> That's great. Because you feel just like, oh, I'm going to have a party and have a couple of kegs. People don't come. But if you're like, birthday party, they're like, oh, okay, I got to go. They're rocking. They're always lively. And I was nervous the first time because I was like, we're going to a party with rocket scientists. And then the first thing I did was walk in and try to not get in anyone's way. And I just leaned you know, out of the way. I didn't realize I was leaning on the knob for the burner for your stove. Oh. And then very quickly, people started to be like, you smell gas? And I'm just leaning there like, nah. <laughs> And then someone had Not to like me. move me and go, it's right here. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, like, a good thing you were the bunch of rocket right? scientists. But. No, it was not. Oh. And I was like, I'm the dumbest person here. Uh-uh. No, it was fun. It was great. I and have then, a lot of friends who work in the entertainment industry. You're not the dumbest I'm person. I'm just being hard on myself. No, it was really fun. It was great. And like, I kept wanting to like, uh, it was hard for me to not be like, I do a podcast. This would be great. Because <laughs> everyone's so fascinating. How often are you at a party where like every single person just has this unbelievable like depth of experience and knowledge? And I don't know. It was very I guess, interesting. Yeah, I don't think of it that way because I talk to them every day. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different world to go into. It's really. So what I was going to say is that we're even though we're not best friends, we're friends. Yeah. And if it does start to go down because it will become public knowledge at some point. If it's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or like you're getting re- relayed from SETI that's like, hey, something wants to talk to you guys and now you're in there with the group that you work with every day and you're looking at a monitor and some sort of math is appearing or symbols. I don't symbols. think that would be me. I don't just, think that please, I just Sure, me. sure, I'll humor you. Someday I will be you in that job. You just send yeah. me a text that just says, it's happening. <laughs> Okay. I just want to know that much. I will do that. Okay, thank you. If I know, I mean, I feel like other people are going to know before me, but yeah. It's like, 
it's a big field it's bigger than people think like you know when that picture of the black hole came out mm-hmm. like, I found out the same way as you did in the news <laughs> it's not like I have some like we have some special NASA alert of like hey guys email like, by the way this is coming out like really? no 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 we find out the press release with everyone else dang it yeah because they publish papers and they don't want to tell anyone until they get their paper and their name on the paper like, so. Hmm. so yeah and I'm even with my own mission with insight like I knew like you know we, we detected our first mosque quake and people found out about it we've had a couple sins but not but a couple you know, sins si- uh, since then so we've oh, had like oh. you know we've started detecting mosquakes on on mars and but the first one happened i don't know back in april or something it, it took a while to see our first one and um and with that one at least i knew because like the data <laughs> came down and like they asked me to downlink the data and i was like you seem to be really interested in like those five minutes of that day on april 12th or whatever it was right and but that's the only reason why i knew is because i had to like get it out of someone that they were like oh well we think there's been a mosque quake but like I, and then i got to ask but like normally if you're not on a mission you're not really pr- like even within jpl mm-hmm. you're not always privy to what's happening <laughs> i guess that's good and bad yeah, I mean, degree. the scientists, like, are, like, really into getting author credits. And, like, you know, it's got to go, like, science and nature won't just pick up your paper yeah. if, like, the Washington Post already has it. Like, it's got to come through them first. And so um, so they, they are very strict about not divulging things until, With until no people have had a chance to analyze it. Part of it is also, like, this stuff comes down and, and it... You'd be amazed at how incredibly fast we go from getting data down to actually telling the public, right? Like for this Mosquake, it was like within two weeks mm-hmm. of like. You think got, that's fast or slow? To me, that's super fast because we got the data down and we're like, oh, maybe that's a Mosquake, but we've seen all this noise already. Like maybe it's not. And then get more and more data and we're like, yeah, like pretty sure that's a Mosquake. And actually, by the time we released it, we're like, so if you look at the press release, it's like, well, we think this is a Mosquake, but it's like on a Richter scale, it's like a one. So it's yeah. a thing that like wouldn't even wake you up, right? So so to me, I was like, whoa, you're already publishing this and like you're not even sure it's a Mosquake, but you're going to tell people? And it's like, well, yeah, it's our duty. But like, um, so I think part of it is like the turnaround is pretty fast too in terms of like how fast we have to tell the public. By law, within six months, we have to. So, so I have two questions from that, I suppose. The first is that with no tectonic plates, how does a Marsquake happen? Uh, they think it's movement of the mantle below this crust. Um, so that's that's one way that that it would happen. But actually, that's what we're trying to find out. Is mm-hmm. okay. Well, there was a theory that there would be mosquakes, um, but that tells us about the interior of Mars. So, um, so yeah, there, there must be movement below the surface. We think, right? So that would be the leading theory. But we need a lot more mosquakes to be able to figure that out. Um, the other type of seismic activities we get is from micrometeorite impacts. Without an atmosphere, you don't get shooting stars. That stuff hits the ground mm-hmm. um, so you get a lot more micrometeorite impacts on Mars than you do on Earth and those impacts will also call size, uh, cause oh. seismic waves mm-hmm. um, so they're seismic waves because they'll propagate through the planet and then you'll see you know you'll, you'll see the, the, they're called primary and secondary waves PNS waves that you'll see propagate through and then uh, and that tells you kind of what the it's all like reflection and refraction and speed of speed of traveling through different materials right and that tells you what the material is made of so um but yeah that's exactly what we're trying to find out is like what is going on below the surface <laughs> right like does it look like earth or like only is this a totally different beast right and then why why yeah. is it that mars is different and what does that tell us about the hundreds and thousands of planets we've just been discovering in other solar systems right, right. the second question was when you don't quite know, then you're under, like, oh, we think it's this. Mm-hmm. Is it the ego that's a problem or just the nature of like, you have to get it out quickly? Or, or is it even a problem that sometimes science has to like, here's what we think or here's what we're pretty sure it is? Well, so in this case, right, like we saw the signature wave and we're like, this looks different from everything we've seen before. It's probably not wind. Mm-hmm. But like, when we first got the data down, there were like four or five theories out there of what it could be. One of them obviously was a mosquake, but like, Part of a scientist's job is to question everything you see. So it's like, cool, we saw the data and like, yeah, that absolutely looks like a, a quake. It looks like a quake, like this. It was same signature as a quake that you would get on the moon. So we're like, yeah, pretty sure it's a quake. But right then, you get your paranoid mind of like, well, I can't say for sure it's a quake because it could be X, it could be Y, it could be this. Right? Like, who knows? Like, it could be a dust devil. It could be, you know. 
so then for example with a dust devil we're like okay well if it's a dust devil there would be a drop in pressure so then they look at the pressure data and they're like oh no 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 drop in pressure it can't be that so so it's kind of a little bit investigative whenever you see anything you can't just you know unless you get an image of like a little martian right like there's very <laughs> few things that you know for sure you see signatures of what you expect and then you have to be able to that's why you fly a suite of instruments because you're like okay well i have this for my seismometer but i also have a wind sensor i also have a pressure sensor to know like okay was it weather was it whatever else it could be right um was it a micrometeorite impact no because the signature was not the same so they kind of have to to look at and they look at all axes of the seismometer to look at okay well in, in this axis it looked like this or whatever so so this kind of a process of elimination and in the end they were like yeah we're pretty sure this is a mars quake but we've never seen a mars quake before so so there's always this chance that like, oh, maybe it's something we don't understand. But like, yeah, pretty good chance this is a mosque quake. And that's when people are like, all right, it's time to tell the public, right? Like, yeah. this is time to tell the scientific community. Like, yeah, we think we saw one. Um, but really, it's like, as as we'll continue over the, the next few years on the mission, we'll see more and more, um, right? Statistically, that has to happen. Then we'll be able to say like, okay, we, we've seen like 10 of these now. We know they're mosque quakes. So like, you know, so, so that's kind of how science works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare that people stand up and they're like, I know for sure this is what just happened, right? And, and if people do that, you should probably, <laughs> you should probably be scared, right? <laughs> so it's, it's not those type of people racing to get published first and saying like, oh, I'm jumping ahead and saying it's probably this. It is what you just yeah. described like we've eliminated every possible other thing like and we've done our certain. math yeah. well and then in this case it's like okay if if you're working on this mission and you're the principal investigator on this mission like I said like NASA has this rule nationally right like that, that they're allowed to hold on to that data for six months so there was no reason why they had to publish it straight away in two weeks right like, they have six months like they have first dibs on their own data mm-hmm. uh, then it goes out to the public and, and there will absolutely be like hundreds of PhD students and professors who will look through that data and, and, and sometimes like we make discoveries way down the line about about planets or about data because someone looks at something a different way and they find things out that's how we found out that Enceladus at Plumes for example um, that's a fun story actually so when Cassini was around and was it Cassini or was it one of the uh, like a previous mission that flew by but I think it was no, it was maybe it was Europa. So with Europa, they think Europa has plumes, right? So it's one of the it's one of the moons of, of Jupiter and they did observations with Hubble that seemed to suggest that maybe it had plumes. I think that's the mission. It's either Europa or Enceladus. Anyway, they there's a theory Enceladus definitely has plumes, but with Euro, one of the two, which must have been Europa, they they observed these plumes and then they went back to really old data because someone was like, oh, we saw this really weird data when we did this flyby. Flyby 19 of Galileo. Mm-hmm. Something funky was going on and some grad student went and dug out the data and was like, yeah, this really supports the idea that there could be plumes, right? Like, So like, some discoveries definitely happen way farther down the line because you cool. don't know what you're looking at half the time, mm-hmm. right? And that's why they say like, we think we saw a Mars quake because like, 20 years down the line, someone might be like, oh no, this was like so-and-so, right? So, um, but... Yeah, so the, there isn't a real... It's not like anyone else has another lander like across the street and I'm like, <laughs> Musquake, waiting for Musquake. Like, I'm going to compete with you. It's more, of a, it's more of a like, there's a genuine desire to share success. Like, it's literally like, hey, our baby found something. Like, yay, I want to share this with the world. Right? Yeah. That's kind of more of the feeling that people have. But, yeah. and the, I don't know why we even give any... I don't even want to say credence, but attention or thought to detractors or, you know someone that could have a crazy not to say like tinfoil be so dismissive of them but the people that go they think it's that but really there's a little being inside mars and it rumbled like a baby and that's what caused it and you'd be like well come on there's yeah. no evidence for that there's yeah. no evidence against it you're like yeah <laughs> well yeah it's funny i think i don't understand it either i mean again i think it comes down to education right of like okay what is common sense here of like what are the things and there's there's a mix between common sense and then people having an inherent distrust in anything that comes from the government mm-hmm. um yeah or like no i i find it very strange in fact like this this whole world of misinformation or of like and part of it is like i get it right like for example like if someone's like okay flat earthers for example and they're like well i'm gonna go do my own experiment to figure out for myself that like earth is the earth is round it's like cool 
good for you. Like that's the correct scientific process, right? Yeah. But then, but then you go do the right thing and you figure out like, cool, definitely round. Like <laughs> there's plenty of evidence, right? And a I lot took of a thing- ruler on a seven forty seven and held it out. It's flat, case yeah, closed. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> it's like come on. Um, it, it's strange, right? Like, like I, on one side, commend the scientific curiosity of being like, okay, but I won't understand where this is coming from. But on the other hand, it's like, all right, like if the evidence is there, like, come on, don't yeah. be an idiot, right? But And part of it, I think, is just communication. And, and NASA's been doing a better job at it, right, of like explaining what we're seeing and why it's not as guarded of a community anymore. And it's been driven by, by people not believing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I like, I really like doing this because even if one person listens that had some sort of bias or unfamiliarity yeah. and that then can change their mind. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, um, I think you, I just think everything you're doing is fantastic. <laughs> I hope your name is on future astronaut suits going what places. Maybe I don't know. I'd have to do something really big. <laughs> oh, you will. You're so you're still so new into your career in the long so. term of things. You yeah. got a long way to go. Um, okay. Yeah, I have five years in November. Uh, yeah, sorry, in February. Um, so so maybe I have like thirty more. So <laughs> yeah, maybe six more time. Yeah, more more than that. Right. I'm thirty one. When do people retire? Seventy. I, I don't. Is there a mandatory retirement there? Would they let no. you keep going? No, we have people who keep going for way longer than they should. Like the brain's kind of slow. But no, but like <laughs> it's funny because like we have some really like older people who work there, and it's actually pretty awesome to work with them. And some of them are like, "Why are you retired?" Because like, they they'll come back and give classes and stuff, and it's it's awesome to hear a lot of. It's weird because engineering, you would think of it as like, okay, you go to university, you learn all these things, but actually a lot of it is through apprenticeship. Like once you have the basic of like physics mm-hmm. and like a lot of the engineering intuition or understanding of failures and all that, it comes from apprenticeship of like learning from someone who's older than you. So, so a lot of people at JPL actually end up staying. You know, some of my mentors are, are in their 70s and beyond because they have people who worked on like the Viking missions and like some of the, they're like, oh yeah, I remember the first time we landed on Mars. <laughs> like literally one of my greatest mentors like he yeah he worked on Viking way back when and, and he's seen every single Mars mission and he, he knows what we do right and wrong and he's like yeah I remember when we landed on Mars and you know they, they put a light on there because they thought maybe the Martians would come out at night or like this is debate of like uh, and then Viking was this weird failure because failure from a scientific point of view because it landed on Mars thinking it was going to find life and it was never able to decidedly one way or the other say whether it was life or not because it didn't have the right instruments but yeah. like, so we call it the, the Viking syndrome but <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, when you go places if you have a scientific question make sure that the answer you're going to get is not like a false negative because that's the worst thing you can have but. is that just a byproduct of being a little too ambitious getting there without the right preparation they just didn't really know what they were looking for I think it's not really their fault they were looking for if you look back at the the seventies, right, like and sixties, right, like people really thought there were little green men on Mars. Like this was not an outrageous thought yeah. of like there might be a civilization on Mars. So, um, so I mean, I don't think that scientists at JPL really thought there was little green men, but they definitely thought that there could be some form of life, right? So, so part of it comes from like not really knowing what you're looking for. But as we work on missions now, and we're looking more and more closely at different phenomena you definitely have to be careful of like okay if I bring this instrument and I see this it's going to tell me X if I see that it's going to see that and then one of the big things is if I don't see something can I draw a conclusion from that right mm-hmm. so for example for Insight with a seismometer we were like okay if we don't see any quakes can we guarantee that we actually didn't see any quakes or was our instrument too shitty to see? Like, oh, yeah. Right? Like, was the noise level too high and therefore we failed? And that's a, that is one of the hardest questions that we ask. And with Insight, actually, we absolutely know that our noise level is way below what we ever wanted. So, so you know, at the beginning when we were seeing quakes, we were like, well, maybe there just isn't quakes because, <laughs> because like, we it know, just made me think we of know like, we'd hear them. <laughs> yeah, but motion-sensitive cameras all around Mars, but they had the wrong settings, and yeah. Martians were just walking back and forth, yeah. and you'd see, oh, we'd, oh, we'd turn them up. Yeah, basically, that's the that's the biggest thing that we want to avoid on any mission is is false negatives. So or not being able to have a negative conclusion to a hypothesis, yeah. right? Because a lot of exploration is based on positive, um, like, so a hypothesis that you're checking for a positive result, but um, but you absolutely, if you're checking a hypothesis, want to be able to to prove a negative. But yeah, which is hard. 
<laughs> much harder. I believe it. The fact that you can't, I mean, one on the Richter scale, even mm-hmm. knowing that that definitively happened. Yeah. And it's then about starting the size of what we, because like the quake was only a few kilometers away, that first one that we saw. And, uh, yeah, it's so tiny. I yep. mean, that, if you're standing right on you it, you couldn't kinda, feel it. Yeah. Or, like humans can feel it. Yeah. Man, that's very sensitive instrumentation. Yeah. Well, hopefully we see some big ones. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's, as far as we know, no possible casualties that there could be unless they're living underground yeah, in those caves. I mean, I don't think they get really big ones like six or sevens the way we do on Earth because we, the surface of Mars, or in fact, I know we don't because the surface of Mars is very, very old. Mm-hmm. Um, so there oh, are no... They don't no, have big mountains and stuff. Well, they do. Like Olympus Mons. Olympus Mons is like three times the height of Everest, right? Really? And, and two and but a half. But no tectonic plates? No, that's what's weird. But it's a giant volcano, right? Like it's a giant oh. volcano. It's bigger than like Mauna Kea or anything like that. Even if you account for the fact that Mauna Kea goes all the way down to the surface of... Because Mauna Kea, right, is like bigger than Everest if you think about the fact that it goes all the way down to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> um, but it's bigger than that. So um, like that little 14,000 feet it goes above the ground is nothing. It's <laughs> this giant volcano below the ground um but anyway so um no it does have massive features but we don't there is like in recent history and by recent i mean like millions of years right like Mm -hmm. there are no massive features being created on mars there is no volcano active volcano so in that sense you could say like okay there's, there's probably not eights or nines because there's no raptors there's no there's no tectonic plates but like so but you could still see more sizable than it and then a one, right, in the mm. scale of so. So that's what, what we'll see. We'll see what we find. Well, we I don't know. know, right? It has impacts. If we see something bigger, that means something's different on the mm. surface. If we only see these tiny ones, yeah. maybe it looks more like the moon, which is really dead and boring, by the way. So, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to take up all of your time. I have a couple more questions I'd love to ask you, okay. but you can come back another time. We have a little bit of beer left. Do you want to do some bonus chatting? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you can catch the uh, extended part of that with some some more bonus questions and stuff in the Patreon. If you are a member, subscriber of that, for as little as two bucks a month, you can get access to bonus content. There's usually something every month. Sometimes it's like two things a month and there'll be a little bit of a drought. It just depends on how much time people have. Um, And I'll try to put in more behind the scenes stuff from, you know, my stand up and and things like that along the way as well. Um, But overall, just really appreciate you supporting the show. Um, so that it can come out weekly with no ads in it. It is made possible from, by contributions from listeners just like you, and it, it uh, it's definitively a, uh, a very helpful and useful aspect of this show. So thank you to those of you who do support the show through Patreon. I hope you're enjoying it. If you have, if you have ideas for beer or musical guests or topics or anything else, music, feel free to send them to pings at thespacecave.com. And uh, as far as beer goes, if you haven't tried that foray, the uh, organic Belgian Saison Ale, if it's warm in your neck of the woods, I highly recommend it. Very refreshing, crisp, just uh, highly enjoyable beer. Um, Okay, I think that's it. Thanks to Dan for putting the show together. As always, thanks to Rob Crow for the theme song that gets you right in the mood for this thing and of course as always thanks to Farah. hopefully she'll be back again at another point really enjoy ch- chatting with her and um, check out her the article the Rolling Stone article a nice little um, quote with her and photograph of the other women she works with at JPL and um, thanks to JPL and NASA and everyone that's out there exploring space and checking it out to see what, what might be out there and be good to this planet while we got it because as you heard, it's probably the only place we have for potentially our existence, if not all of humanity. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll find out. Anyway, let's get out of here. Here's a song called It Rains Blood by Lee Fields and the Expressions. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. It rains blood when I'm with you. It rains blood when I'm When clouds roll through, it rains blood when I'm with you. I may not be the richest man, but I want to give you everything I can. I always try to do my
Oh 